0: my name's clover and we need to talk about eco-anxiety some of you may be wondering what eco-anxiety even is while others may be struggling with it right now this podcast is for both of you those curious listeners who want to understand the impacts of climate change on our mental health, this podcast is your crash course. Each week on the show, we'll be exploring a different face of the climate crisis, from the food we eat to our relationship with media, our addiction to fossil fuels, and everything in between. I'll be speaking to leading experts and global companies about challenges and solutions. You'll also hear from young people around the world who feel eco-anxious and hear from our resident psychotherapist, Caroline Hickman, about how to navigate some of these feelings. And for those of you who feel eco-anxious right now, I'm here to tell you that you are not alone. And far from being a sign of weakness, your eco-anxiety is totally normal. In fact, it's a sign of your empathy, proof that you are awake to the issues. I believe that talking about our eco-anxiety is the first step to turning it into agency, community, and vision. So let's talk about eco-anxiety. On the previous episode, we dived deep into the role of media in the climate crisis, featuring Jack Harris, filmmaker and co-founder of Earthrise Studio, as well as Stephen Dunbar Johnson of the New York Times. We heard from our resident psychotherapist, Caroline, about traveling into our difficult feelings to create space for grounded hope. If you haven't already, be sure to check it out. Today's episode is about plastic. If you're like me, you might have a tote bag or mountain of them to avoid the single use plastic bags at the supermarket. You might have paid a small fortune for a keep cup to carry your morning coffee. You might brush your teeth with a bamboo toothbrush, and you might have gone so far as to buy a pack of metal straws after watching Blue Planet. Yet, despite our best efforts, we continue to contribute a little more to plastic pollution every day. Whether we like it or not, most of the things we use and consume have plastic, the stuff we put in the tote bag, the toothpaste tube that we squeeze onto the bamboo brush, the packaging for those metal straws. We are dependent on plastic. When plastic was first discovered, it was a cause for celebration. It was cheap, easy, durable. My grandmother tells me stories of her and her friends having Tupperware parties. But looking back now, we can see it was all too good to be true. While plastic is cheap, its long-term impacts are not that plastic i use for five minutes can stay in the environment for five centuries generations to come alongside all life on this planet will continue to pay the price unless we change our ways but where do we even start to help figure this out later in the show i'll be speaking to alessandro manfredi executive vice president of dove the unilever brand we all know about the role of corporations in cleaning up a plastic mess they've helped create but first I wanted to learn more from someone who has spent half of their life tackling the plastic crisis. I invited my very good friend, Malati Weissen, onto the show. At the age of 12, alongside her 10-year-old sister, Malati started an initiative to ban plastic bags in her home country of Indonesia. She went on to spark a global movement. Malati, take it away.
1: is Malati. I'm 20 years old and a full-time changemaker. My story started when I was 12 years old. Growing up here on the island of Bali, plastic pollution was the issue we tackled. Together with my sister when she was 10 years old, we started our first mission called Bye Bye Plastic Bags. And that's where I'm most well known for uh, the work that I have been doing for the last seven years on the front lines to make Bali plastic bag free. Finally, we achieved that in 2019 with an official policy change and regulation. And my new passion is is now empowering more young people to become young change makers through peer to peer learning with Youthtopia. Growing up in Bali, how would you describe the plastic problem? Plastic pollution—it's just something that we don't read on the news, or it isn't some distant thing that we hear on the radio, or you know, we see on a viral post. It's actually something we're living with every single day, and so that's kind of how I would describe, you know, growing up here in Bali and seeing the plastic pollution. There wasn't a single moment where you could move away from it. Going to the beach with friends swimming, learning how to surf, plastic was there. Walking through the rice fields, plastic was there. On the way to school, looking out of the window from the car, plastic was there. By 2050, there's more plastic than fish in our oceans. Oftentimes when we say that fact, we forget about the fish in the ocean. Going to the local beach, ordering from the local fishermen, bringing that back home, preparing that fish, opening it up, and out comes thick pieces, as thick as my nail, plastic. And that's something that is already happening. I mean, if you think about it in the eyes of being a fish or in the eyes of being a bird or in the eyes of a whale. You don't see the difference between plastic and food. The thing that we're finding a lot of here in Bali actually is already broken down thin polyester plastic bags, even like just unrecognizable plastic. And that's also what is the scary part of this whole plastic pollution crisis is that you can't identify what it is. The responsibility that companies have when they produce these plastic items here in Indonesia, they can get away with not identifying what type of plastic they use. And so the recycling facilities also have a hard time identifying what types of plastic it is. Not only is that impacting the environment and the ocean, something that not every one of us feel so connected to, is bringing it back to ourselves and our health. Every single week, we're ingesting about five grams, a credit card's worth of plastic every single week. We're digesting that. And that means it's entering our bloodstreams. It's affecting our own health. And it doesn't really matter where you're from. Research shown that microplastics are being found in rain droplets. You know, when a wave crashes and it creates that spray, if someone catches that spray, they can find microplastics. And that's just Terrifying because now plastic isn't what we can see in our fridge when we open it. It's not what we can see, you know, when we're at the supermarket. It's breaking down to something we can't see and yet is affecting us without our knowledge. So it's everywhere.
0: Why do you think we're so addicted to plastic?
1: Because it's cheap and it's easy. Plastic is actually a really great symbol of how we actually go through business as usual in the sense that it's single use. We use it for short term use and we forget about it when it's done with its purpose. And that's everything that's wrong with our system as we know it today.
0: What are some of those images that you've seen that have really struck you and that continue to drive both some of that overwhelm but also that determination that you have to fix this problem?
1: End of 2019, I think that was my last time like really physically going out into the field to one of the largest landfills in Southeast Asia. And, you know, I think 3,000 families live on this landfill. And it was heartbreaking, Clover. Like, honestly, I, I had to give a presentation because I was invited to kind of socialize with the kids and teach them why plastic was bad. And yet they were living on mountains of trash. And they literally found their toys from trash, brought their family's income if they found something in those mountains. You know, I mean, their entire ecosystem, all that they knew from growing up, being born in these villages on top of landfill, it really broke my heart and it still does to this day. And then, you know, other instances of being here in beautiful Bali and seeing, you know, the viral shots that, you know, make the media go crazy. But people forget it happens every year. It's literally, we have two seasons, rainy and dry. But there's a new one, which is trash season, and it's every year the same. And it every year makes the news. But why can't we stop it from happening? And so I think that's kind of a big driver of my frustration, what keeps me up at night, but also why I feel like we have to get to the bottom of this. Trash season, could you explain that to the listeners? come to Bali anytime between October and early (laughs) mid-March. You'll experience it yourself. Rainy season has become trash season because with the heavy rains and the monsoons that we have here on the tropical island of Bali, it washes all of the plastic that are, you know, on the riverbanks, in the communities and out onto the ocean or onto the beaches, the touristy beautiful black sand, white sand beaches that we have here in Bali. And of course, we see the viral pictures every year. Do you envision a world without plastic? Do you envision a world where we're recuperating
0: that plastic? What do you see as that path ahead?
1: Well, I think that there's definitely a lot of space for innovation and things that we haven't even seen invented yet. But that's one way to look at it. We lived once without plastic. And so I do believe that we can do it again. And that's the process of unlearning, which I know you know, is sometimes more difficult than learning or getting taught something else or something new. Plastic wasn't introduced here 25 years ago. Before that, the Balinese the culture here on the island did perfectly fine without plastic. And so, I believe it's a combination actually of unlearning, taking back of those traditions and living in harmony with nature and then introducing new alternatives that are accessible to everybody.
0: What have some of those conversations looked like when you're talking to the locals and you're also having to consider that this is a material that has made their lives a lot easier, potentially more
1: convenient. How do you go about that and where have some of those conversations led? 7 years ago, I think it's very different than what where we are today. Seven years ago, it was simply because they had no idea why plastic was bad, why they should stop using it. And simply because there was a lack of knowledge and understanding provided in the education system, but also to the adults in the working space. It wasn't top of mind for anybody. I feel like now, though, especially in the last several years, and when we started Bioplastic Bags, we were at that, you know, ripe sort of time where people were starting to ask the questions of, hey, something's not right with the plastic in our island. Now the problem is, you know, they know plastic is bad. I'll tell you a story. I was down by my local beach here. And I saw this old fisherman kind of sweeping up the parking lot area. And I saw he was putting the leaves and then all the plastic pieces that were there. And he just kind of bunched it all together and lit it on fire. And I went up to him and I said, Okay, I have two options. One, I tell him what he's doing is really bad. Or secondly, I could ask him why he's doing what he's doing. And I went with the second and immediately he looked at me with sadness in his eyes because he knew what he was doing was terrible and toxic, you know, for his own health and the children running around and everybody around. But he said to me, what else am I supposed to do with it? And so that's not education. That's simply a lack of accessible solutions. It comes back to the bigger picture, waste management, waste collection, waste separation. And that unfortunately has to be provided for a country or island like Bali and Indonesia from the top down, a government approach, which we're not seeing enough of right now.
0: In all of the... Incredible work that you do with young people from all corners of the world. Have you witnessed that eco anxiety and how have you perceived that relationship between eco anxiety and the role that plastic plays in each of our
1: lives? Yeah, I mean, uh, when it comes to plastic pollution, because it's such an overwhelming topic, similar to the climate crisis or the refugee crisis, we see that within plastic pollution, and the reason why we only tackle plastic bags, for example, is because we want to find that one realistic, tangible change that we can create. And we did this on purpose even without knowing it at 10 and 12 years old, it was simply out of the need to see a specific and almost overnight wishing change. And I think that's how we kind of try to balance our eco-anxiety and be like, okay, if we get overwhelmed with the straws, the bottles, the waste management, we're like, let's center in. How are we doing with the plastic bags? Is there any progress there? You know, it's kind of like finding that touchstone in any movement that you're in as an activist. What is your specific? tangible change that you want to see and go back to it when you're feeling overwhelmed kind of feel it as your like your touchstone your safe space your progress and your track record of what it is you want to achieve
0: i really resonated with what malati said around the need to manage her eco anxiety by finding as much focus as possible honing in on that one part of a much bigger crisis which feels way more tangible I reached out to some other young people navigating their eco-anxiety in the context of plastic. Here's what they had to say.
2: Hello, my name is Coral. I am originally from Mexico, but I have been living in the United States for six years. I am 27 years old. How does climate change make me feel? I think I have developed a lot of anxiety and depression about the future. And also I live in Colorado, so we have the worst fires in the history of Colorado last year, so a couple months ago, and it was just horrifying to see it, like to experience it in real life. It felt like the end of the world. <laughs> the sky turned red. You can see all the trees trees and animals running away to save their lives and it was just so sad. After reading and researching about climate change I think I reduced a lot my consumption of plastic. It's crazy how much plastic we use but truly if people don't know about this issue it's really hard for them to even like go to the store I don't realize they're just buying plastic like literally in all their foods, in all their water, in all their products. Making people aware about how much plastic we consume and how it's super hard to recycle it is part the solution, reduce the consumption I think is key. My
3: name is Julia. I am from Pennsylvania in America, living on Lenny Lenape land, and I am 21 years old. If I were to put ego anxiety into my own words, I would say it's standing in the middle of a tornado, where it's pretty calm in the center, but wherever you look around, there's chaos flying all around you, and you don't know what to grab onto first. It's when your chest gets tight and your throat a little dry, but you also have the urge to scream out into the world, but you can't quite find the words to say. And I cope with the climate change by trying to learn about it every day and use the knowledge that I'm learning in my day-to-day life. My relationship with plastic is terrible. We should break up. It's not that healthy. Small choices still are important choices. I'm more mindful of what I purchase and what I support. When I think about it for myself, I feel like I can control my own actions and my own decisions. But when I look around to what everyone else brought into my own household or advertisements I see pushing products, onto people that they don't need I feel small I feel like I'm back in the middle of that tornado seeing it all fly around me unsure of where to reach out to and where to turn
4: My name is Carl, I am from Norway and I am 20 years old. I think climate change makes me feel in one way very hopeless because it's such a big, big issue and I don't know how to really act. Whereas on the other hand, I see a lot of hope, I see a lot of passion and that makes me really, really grateful to see that. So I think I try to limit my usage of plastics, but of course, in the way we live and in the society we have and the systems we have are built upon almost a plastic economy. So it's very hard to not live with plastic. Sometimes I do see all these movements of change, which makes me really, really happy. But at the same time, we also have microplastics everywhere and everything we do. And it kind of makes me nervous to see if there is any way of going back to the way it was. Will the world ever be plastic free? I'm not so sure. But I do see a lot of change, which makes me happy.
5: My name is Tanya Lombard. I am from Pretoria, South Africa, and I am 25 years old. For me, eco-anxiety is my natural emotional response to the destruction occurring on our planet, to knowing that I may not have a future because of the lack of laws, policies, or systems regarding sustainability. I suppose I have a wide range of coping mechanisms that work together. For internal struggles, I turn to yoga and meditation. For a more action-based approach, I joined an NGO to gain knowledge in the field and to be surrounded by people with the same concerns. Connecting with others is the best way to realize that you are not the only one scared for their life or their future. There are countless numbers of us. My relationship to plastic waste and consumerism is a toxic one. I hate it, yet it is on every shelf of every store across the globe, forcing the consumer to choose it. Seeing the environmental consequences of the plastic industry, including microplastics, is devastating, and knowing that the responsible industries are not taking action to mitigate the issues they have caused is pure abuse to my future. Plastic does make me feel very eco-anxious. We have countless of marine species dying of plastic ingestion. I fear we may only hold the responsible industries liable when the first human death due to plastic ingestion is confirmed. That scary day we biopsy a human stomach and it's filled to the brim with microplastics. I really, really hope we can change before that happens. <music>
0: We've just heard from young people speak to the overwhelming, pervasive nature of plastic. Carl spoke to the fact that we're living in a plastic economy and asked if we'll ever live in a world without plastic again. I reached out to Caroline Hickman to unpack some of what we've just heard. Caroline is a psychotherapist from the University of Bath, who has spent years researching young people's relationships with nature and the climate crisis. Here she is.
4: When you first returned to Indonesia, you sent this powerful tweet acknowledging the plastic pollution that you were seeing everywhere. And it's more hidden in Europe, because we have this fallacy or this fantasy of recycling. It soothes our conscience, doesn't it, when we recycle, vaguely cleaning up our own streets in Europe by dumping our rubbish everywhere else in the world. So we hide it away as a problem. But you can't hide from it out there. And for me, it really is a form of racism. It really is a form of abuse and exploitation of people who don't have the same economic power. It's a colonialism. I, when we talk about it as plastic, I think it sanitizes it as a problem. Plastic itself is not so much the issue, is it? It's what we do with it. And I think it embodies and represents and symbolizes the contempt the the northern industrial western societies have for the rest of the world that we can use the rest of the world as a garbage bin a few years ago i was having a conversation about exactly this with a friend in the maldives she told me that they have a very similar word for waste and beach and she explained that traditionally in the maldives Things that we used to hold things, contain things, wrap things up, which is, you know, what we use plastic for today, were palm leaves. And these could just be thrown on the beach because then the tides would come and take them away and recycle them. And these were organic and it wasn't doing any harm to the environment. So you could throw these palm leaves away and they would rot and it would be part of the natural life cycle. And what we talked about was how we're still actually almost archetypally as humans doing the same thing with plastic as if it was palm leaves as if it were something that would rot and disappear and return to the environment without connecting up the fact that we've created this artificial substance in plastic so if we look under the surface of that it's as if there's some part of ourselves that I think that still disbelieves that we can create these toxic destructive things and so we don't take responsibility we don't join up how it feels and we don't feel the pain of that and we heard some of the pain of that and the awareness of of that in the young people who were speaking earlier, how they struggled to have the choice to not use plastic because it's everywhere. That really struck me, their willingness and their ability with that emotional intelligence and to feel that pain. And that's what's missing for us, I think, psychologically, is to know what it feels like to pollute in that way. And we're quite disconnected from that. So you know, what could we do? Well, we could challenge people to keep every piece of plastic they buy for a year and store it in their home. Put a room aside. Don't put it in the recycling bin. Don't put it in a dustbin, don't put it in the shed, put it in a corner of the room. Because you'd only be able to tolerate it for about a week before you became disgusted and appalled. You'd live with your own rubbish for a short period of time and And it would radically change your relationship with it and that in turn i think would start to join up the misery and the pain that we're causing to the planet because this stuff is all under the surface psychologically so it's in the unconscious unless we make it visible as you see it as visible when you go back home and you see it in the rivers and the seas and on the beaches so the west has to somehow see this in order to change these attitudes
0: I thought it was fascinating how Caroline spoke to the fact that our behavior hasn't changed, yet the stuff we're throwing out has. Because the introduction of plastic has happened so rapidly and pervasively, it seems our brains haven't quite kept up. We're disconnected from the true implications of our actions when we do throw plastic in the bin or in a place like Bali without any infrastructure, when that plastic goes into the river or up in plumes of toxic smoke. What I'd like to do now is speak to someone who understands the problem from a different angle someone who represents a company that has contributed to the plastic crisis. I reached out to Alessandro Manfredi, executive vice president of Dove, a Unilever brand. Before we dive in, here is the DL from Dove. Last time I was at the supermarket, I was faced with the unenviable task of buying body wash. I confronted a sea of plastic. And after picking up what felt like 100 bottles, scrutinizing the labels, I came upon a product from Dove that's made from 100% recycled plastic. I looked into it and learnt that this innovation will reduce the manufacture of at least 20,500 tons of virgin plastic per year. That's about enough plastic to circle the earth 2.7 times. This is all part of a wider plan to eliminate virgin plastic. By 2025, all Dove packaging will either be made from 100% recycled plastic, be refillable or reusable they are also trialing new refillable deodorant and will make their iconic Beauty bar packaging plastic-free globally. It all sounds pretty impressive, but that stat of saving enough plastic to circle the earth 2.7 times makes my stomach turn at the thought of how much plastic Dove has already put into the environment. I'd like to hear more from Alessandro about what needs to happen for Dove as a brand to truly own their responsibility. Here he is. My
6: name is Alessandro Manfredi. I work at Unilever based in the U. UK, and I'm responsible for the. I'm executive vice president for the DAF brand.
0: On the plastic pollution challenge, why are we in this mess? And from your view, what is getting in the way of us being able to fix it?
6: It's no secret. Plastic is uh, one of the biggest environmental threats of the planet. I think one of the issues, which is that we are all human and we happen to be all plastic addicts. Plastic is everywhere. We can't do without it. It makes our life easier, and human beings like comfort. So there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem. is is that we need to confront the fact that we are addicted to that and do something about it. And when you are confronted with a giant mirror, when you start to see shocking images of plastic in the ocean and in the beaches, you start to realize there is a big problem. We need to realize that the issue is not really plastic. We need to be a little bit sharper about that. The issue is uh, the lack of circularity of plastic. There is too much of virgin plastic out there and the management of the waste, the fact that it is too much waste. Why do I say that? Because you start to demonize plastic you're missing a point it's practical it's flexible it's cheap it doesn't have such a carbon impact versus other production if we replaced every bottle of plastic with a bottle of glass or a bottle of aluminium it wouldn't be good for climate change at all so we need to understand that also to take out the problem because unfortunately it's not as simple as eliminating plastic the approach that we're trying to have at Unilever is better plastic less plastic no plastic what does it mean the first thing is that virgin plastic is not a good thing because it creates a lot of carbon and takes a lot of resources. And so the first thing that we should be doing is to try to do all our bottles circular and eliminate, in a way, virgin plastic and only do bottles with recyclable plastic. In North America and in Europe, we transform all our bottles in 100% recycled plastic bottles. Just to give you an example, the plastic that we saved in that initiative would help you to go around the world if you put all the bottles together 2.7 times. So it's like massive, massive in terms of scale. We're doing the best to eliminate virgin plastic and make things circular. The second thing is less plastic. You start to design your bottles in a way that you have less plastic into your bottles, but also you start to think about refill systems. But when you start to think about refill systems, you start to encounter that consumers really don't love going and refill their bottles all the time. There are maybe a few of them that are super, super engaged that would go to the supermarket and refill their bottle and go back with their bottle. But it's not practical. As i we love comfort as human beings that's the way we are we can educate human beings but at the end we need to accept how human beings are and trying to maybe to change it through different ways so another thing that we are trying to do is to how do we make refillable bottles or refillable products sexy so recently what we did we launched a new refillable deodorant it's cool you like to have it in your bathroom it's nice to touch and then you are stimulated really to refill because you want to keep that product and that's a design for life but if I try And we tried, you know, sometimes to design things to be refillable, but they were not really cool. Then people said, why can't I go and buy another bottle at the supermarket? And therefore, you know, it's not an easy way to change behavior. But when you manage to change behavior and you do it at scale, through less plastic, you make a big difference. Definitely, we need to play a role into creating systemic change. But of course, it's very difficult to do it alone. You really need to have governments and public organizations also to do their job.
0: Over the course of this... Episode, we've heard from a number of young people for whom plastic is a source of great anxiety. I can definitely see that in my own life, feeling a real level of stress about the amount of disposable stuff that I throw in the bin, and then that huge frustration that comes from knowing that a number of the products that I buy aren't even recyclable, right? I think often it can feel really difficult to do the right thing from the consumer level when those solutions simply don't exist. What have you observed in the way? young people around the world feel and think and act in response to the climate crisis? And have you been aware of this term and the rise of eco-anxiety?
6: Yeah, yeah, I've been aware about that. For example, my daughter, uh, my daughter is 13, more than anxious, she's a bit angry in a way at uh, why our generations I don't really care about it. But yes, we, we see it a lot. And we see, definitely, we have uh, also uh, statistics from the United Nations showing that actually the young generation are much more worried than anxious than the older generation. We're starting to see that actually sustainability and the environment and especially plastic and climate change to be very specific and also deforestation which is related of course to climate change are really trending up.
0: Do you ever feel eco-anxious yourself?
6: Usually I feel anxious not when there is a problem but when there is a problem and people don't acknowledge it and are doing nothing. Then I get anxious and say come on there's nobody really acknowledging it and thinking about it. So when I feel anxious is When I hear leaders that say that there is not a big problem, whether they are political leaders, business leaders, that really makes me feel anxious because I say, come on, you know. I'm an optimist, so I think that things can always be turned around. But when people don't acknowledge the problem, no, they cannot be turned around. So that's what creates a bit my anxiousness. I think what gives me a bit more comfort is the fact that young people really care about it. Sometimes we have the stereotypical image of young kids spending all the time on social media and TikTok or playing games. But to be honest, Actually, they are much, much more engaged than uh, many previous generations. And they go in the streets and they care about it. And in the future, they will be the ones that vote. What in what out and uh, that gives me good hope the second thing is that at least I am in a position where I can do something about it where I can tell myself every day am I doing enough about it that of course makes you feel less anxious because you feel you have a little bit of control over a brand that has quite big scale to make some
4: difference
0: you mentioned your daughter expressing her eco anger even toward the role of previous generations and the frustration that can come in the face of inaction what do you think is the role of young people in walking the corridors of power to actually change the institutional mindset? Do you feel that we should be having more intergenerational exchange within companies so that leaders who are perhaps experiencing a bit of a crisis in imagination can benefit from the disruption and energy and momentum of the young people who are out there banner blazing in the street?
6: Yeah, I think what is happening with some young opinion leader, you are one of them, is uh, putting a mirror at society and the hypocrisy that society has. That is the most important thing. The second, send a message that you really care. And I think sometimes going to the street in a peaceful way, of course, but going to the street and show we are the ones that are going to vote tomorrow and maybe even today is extremely important. I think there is a really a cultural role that you can play beyond, of course, uh, making the future leaders like a fear, the fact that they're not going to be in power unless they listen. But there is the cultural role. And also educating more the older ones about listening and understanding, you know, how the future will be. So, yeah, I think the role young people have is massive.
0: Caroline mentioned a tweet I posted when I arrived back home in Indonesia. It has been a wake up call after two years in the UK, seeing the air pollution, the disappearing trees and the pervasive plastic. In my first 24 hours in hotel quarantine, I threw away seven plastic water bottles, bottles I used for five minutes, only to remain in the environment for five centuries. I was even more aware of this mounting plastic because I couldn't just throw it out of sight, out of mind. To Caroline's point, it was right there in the room with me. I wasn't using plastic because it was convenient, by because it was my only choice with the tap water being unsafe to drink. Today, one in three people don't have access to clean drinking water. In the past two years, we've heard commitments from companies like Unilever about how they'll end the plastic crisis. However, many of these commitments appear to plaster over the problem. Few of them promise to build fair, equitable communities. For example, how do you meet a zero plastic commitment in a country where there is little to no sanitation. How do you remove virgin plastic from the equation when there is no recycling infrastructure? How can you depend on consumers to lead the sustainability charge when they're breathing polluted air, drinking polluted water, and fleeing climate change? The companies driving plastic pollution need to appreciate that this is as much an environmental crisis as one of human rights. We're privileged in the UK. When we throw plastic in the bin, it seems to vanish without a second thought. Yet how much of that plastic is then shipped to far-flung countries where communities like those 3,000 families Malati mentioned are living in our waste? How much plastic created by these corporations have each of us consumed in our lifetimes? Alessandro spoke to how his eco-anxiety comes not so much from the problems as people pretending the problems don't exist. I feel the same way, particularly when those people are in positions of power profiting from the problem. It's easy to shift the blame to people shopping in the supermarket, yet this is not a problem we can solve through individual actions. I can buy the bamboo toothbrush, the reusable coffee cup, but to Carl's point, we are living in a plastic economy. Plastic is cheap, it is easy, in the moment when we use and discard it. But the cost to our human health, to the health of all life on this planet, could not be greater. This is not a price any one of us should pay. It should be paid by the corporations that have profited from polluting the earth and our bodies. Plastic is so pervasive that it's difficult to imagine a world without it. Yet there is hope. As Malati said, for 99.9% of human history, we lived without plastic. Learning new behaviors can be difficult and unlearning can be even more so. But solving challenges like the climate and plastic crisis do require us to think differently. The good news is that humans are nothing if not adaptable. We need to be awake to the issues. That includes making the impacts of plastic pollution visible and truly connecting to the impact of our actions. Individual lifestyle changes won't solve the crisis. Yet staying awake to the problems, then coming together to place the pressure on big business and government, absolutely can. This is where eco-anxiety can help us. We can choose to embrace the discomfort rather than shove it into a small box to make space for more convenient feelings. We can choose to be awake rather than blindly go along with the system of extraction and pollution that benefits corporations. And we can draw inspiration from tradition, look to our ancestors, our grandparents, in order to unlearn our attitudes toward disposable materials with permanent impacts. Making that choice to be awake to the issue and connected to the pain of those living through its direct impacts is critical to achieving a plastic-free world. Next week on the show, we'll be discussing environmental racism and social justice. We have some awesome conversations lined up. You'll hear from environmental educator Isaias Hernandez, aka Queer Brown Vegan on Instagram, as well as Rob Cameron of Nestle. As always, you'll be hearing from Young Voices, our resident psychotherapist, and me, your host, Clover Hogan. See you there. How did today's episode make you feel? Let us know by heading over to Force of Nature's Instagram, at forceofnature.xyz and dropping us a comment or DM. We've also partnered with Malati's organizations, Bye Bye Plastic Bags and Utopia, to bring you some rad content on the gram. Be sure to head over there and join the conversation. Have you already signed up to our panel session on October 9th? If not, what are you waiting for? We're hosting a discussion with some of the young trailblazers you've already heard from on the podcast. For more info, head to forceofnature.xyz forward slash podcast. We'd love to see you there. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, you know what to do. This podcast was brought to you by Force of Nature and One Fine Play. From One Fine Play, James Bishop is the executive producer. Kasra Ferruzia is the editor and producer. Conor Foley is the producer and researcher with additional creative support from Selena Christofides. Running Force of Nature takes a village and would not be possible without Phoebe Hansen, Kathleen Hamilton, Alejandra Arias, Sasha Wright, Julia Sams, Vida Han, and Deneb Jadot. As a reminder, if you're feeling particularly overwhelmed by eco-anxiety, you can find a whole host of resources to support you at forceofnature.xyz. Additionally, if you are struggling with your mental health, please consult a medical professional.